You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. The real story of the ocean depths begins where you left off. Wonders that defy my powers of description. The secrets that are mine alone. Well, it's just gone 9.02. The station is 3 Triple R. The show is Radio Marinara, the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Dr Beach. And I'm Dr Surf. How do you going, Surf? I'm living the dream, man. Living the dream. What's that? No work and all surf? No work or surf. That's Fantastic. what I'm going to talk about today. The whole day? <laughs> yeah, I can't talk about the footy. Oh, Jesus. Anyway, good luck to your team today. Uh, that being the demons, yeah. Um, well, yeah, this I hope isn't a show about football, but you know, at this time of this year, time many of year. people are very much interested in it, and it is a crazy season. I'm excited. I'm I went not. to three games last weekend. That's pretty impressive. I don't know. Just yeah. wander down. I mean, the MCG is your backyard. Uh, yeah, it is my local ground, but anyway. Um, <laughs> Kent's panelling, thanks to Tim for another edition, wonderful edition of Vital Bits. Um, he's still hanging out there in the green room looking... Gloating. About ghost riders in the sky. Or gloating after having nailed another fantastic three hours of radio on top of yesterday. <laughs> we have an exciting show coming up today. Dr Surf and Dr Beach are going to look after you. Bron, and Bron has not been here for a little while and Bron wanted us to let you know that she's, she's on the man. She has been crook. She's got a spot of pneumonia, in fact, which is um, later very low. Anyone who's suffered from that, as indeed I did about 15 years ago, knows just how painful and what a pain in the in the chest it is. Anyway, all the best, Bron, and um, rest assured she is recovering 
and we'll be back with us maybe for Radiothon next week, but maybe hopefully. second, hopefully, maybe second edition of Radiothon. And it is coming up for Radiothon next week. All very excited, getting mm. our fish names together. So you can um, ring in and subscribe. You can ring in and subscribe now to Radio Marinara, but wait next week and you'll get a fish name and um, keep us on the air. A curious fish name. A curious fish name. Yes, indeed. I can bring in Little River Band and play Curiosity Killed the Cat. Uh, no, you're not <laughs> going to do that. We're, we're going to ban that. That's, that's just going to be flat out banned. You're, you're going to be frisked as you enter the yeah. studio. Make sure you've got no Little River Band on yeah. you. <laughs> Oh, dear. Coming up today, as I said, we've got a big show. Um, Surf's going to give us a, um, an extended surf report. Um, I'm going to talk about a paper which I discovered last night, which I think is damn fascinating, about loss of a particular gene in marine mammals and the consequences for them. Uh, it's got all to do with pesticides. Hmm. Bit of a worry. I've got some questions about that, so that'll be interesting. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, then we're going to have some people on the phone from Bo Morris telling us about a marine, Virginia Mosk and Ray Lewis telling us about a marine science education centre, which is down there um, in association with Bowie High, the brand new Bowie High. Looking forward to hearing about that. Then we have Captain Windshift, who's we haven't seen darken these corridors for about a year. He is going to get on the blower to us and talk to us about what's been happening with sailing, which I'm very much looking forward to. And to close the show, we have um, Ben Francis Shelley coming into the studio from Museum Victoria. He's going to talk to us about a couple of things. Um, the shark teeth that we might have... Some of us might have heard about, but I'd like to get Ben in the studio to take us through that in detail. There's um, beautiful large shark teeth which mm. have been discovered recently. Down it was all over the news on Thursday, I think. It was all over the news and we're going to flog it again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so get down to the museum and have a look at them. Ah, uh, Yeah, and it is coming up for Science Week and Ben is going to tell us about some of the wonderful events which are happening at Museum Victoria. You got a bit of news for a surf? Do you want to do the weather first? Oh, all right. Okay, so it's um, nice and sunny out there. It's very crisp. Very cool. Very cool, yeah, 5 degrees. It's going to get up to 14 degrees today, less than one millimetre of rain. Winds west 25 to 35 kilometres per hour. Looking forward to the week, it's, it's still going to be cool. It's going to be 15, 17 degrees, or getting up to 17 on Wednesday. Thursday, Friday, back down to 14 or 15 degrees. Not much rain on the horizon, perhaps Thursday, a couple of millimetres, but apart from that, just um, just less than one millimetre. If you're heading out on the water, you'll be wanting to know what the tides are doing at Point Lonsdale. It is going to be high tide at 12.30 this afternoon. That's a high tide at 1.61 metres. Mm, that's a big one. What if somebody wants to get on the, um, um, on the water on a board? I can do a quick surf report now before I do my extended 2018. Look, it's pretty good down uh, the Torquay area again. It's a little bit peaky. You're looking at waves that are about two to three foot. Um, with a northwest wind, so it's going to be nice and clean. Uh, the only problem is it's got a lot of west in the swell. It's a 214-degree swell, which has been the um, the common picture this, this winter. What did you say? A 214-degree swell? Yeah, I'll explain swell. that in, in more detail in my extended winter surf report. But th- that's been the problem this year. There's the, the swell's been coming more from the west. So if you think of a clock... 180 degrees is 6 o'clock. Okay, I'm with you. And, and this one's coming from about between 7 and 8 on the clock. So it's got a bit too much west. Well, actually, it's probably coming from about 8. Anyway, it's got too much west in it, so it's slipping past. It's not that big. But, look, you'll get good waves down there. Down the other side, uh, you might get a tiny wave in, in Western Port Bay, but it's not that fabulous. 
Okay. I'm not going to bother. You're not going to bother getting out on the water? Not today. Okay. I'll go tomorrow. Because you have the luxury of doing it whenever you feel like I it. I do. I am the classic lazy, lazy, what do they used to call them? Doll bludgers. Uh, I guess the, so, yeah. On the Bob Hawke Fellowship. I was on the Bob Hawke Fellowship for a while. So was I. That's how we wrote up our PhDs. <laughs> That's why it was called the Bob Hawke Fellowship. Anyway. Yeah. What do we want to do now? Do we want to have a little bit of news? Uh, yeah, well, you were going to tell me something about wave machines. I do. I, I just uh, found a very interesting article in the latest Surface Journal, which popped into my letterbox this week, about uh, wave parks, artificial waves. We've talked about them a little bit in this show uh, over the past, and we have concentrated a little bit on what's known as Kelly Slater's Surf Ranch in Lemoore, California which is a rather large, a couple of rather large pools, three hours from uh, the surf, from the beach. Uh, the reason we're concentrating on that is that they that company has actually been bought out by WSL, which is the World Surf League, and they're holding a competition, a full competition there next month. But is this the future of uh, surf, inland surf? And the, and the answer is no, it's not. And the reason is technology, really, and money, as usual. The Kelly Slater Surf Camp, as many of you will have seen it on the beach, on sorry, on the TV and on uh, websites, it's got a perfect wave. And it's generated by a hydrofoil that runs underwater. It's pulled through the water and it generates a wave that you can ride for 50 seconds, which is a long surf. If the foil moves to the left, you get a right-hand wave and then the foil comes back again and you get a, a left-handed wave. But... What that means is the maximum number of waves you can get per hour is about 20. So you got because you've got to wait for the the pool to settle down. 20 would be heaps for me. I'd be exhausted. Yeah, but that's a wave every three to five minutes. And because of that, and because of the high electricity use, and because of the high number of staff that are needed, it's considered that this that this will be a very expensive um, surf pool to go to. Yeah, right. So we're not going to get on a plane, go to California and surf no. Kelly waves. No, it's going to be used primarily for competitions. But the, there's another one called the Wave Garden, or uh, which generates a thousand waves per hour. So you can do the math. How many of them there are every second? That's, I think it's about every three seconds. So it's like a windswell. But what that means is that there will be a lot more people in the water catching waves, which means it'll bring the price down. And I think this is what we're going to be finding. There's one of these similar to this being built at Tullamarine. A Tuller. Mm. Amazing. So we're going to have one of them. But but the one point that this article uh, made, which I thought re- very much resonated with me, is that, that there's a lot of, there's, you know, people my age think, oh my God, oh my God, it's the end of the world because all these people from inland are going to learn how to surf in these wave pools. Well, yeah, that, that, that's just like and then they're going to come, surfies like you. That they're going to come down and crowd selfish. out our beautiful beaches. But uh, the point was made, and I think it's quite a valid one, is that, is that you do not learn ocean skills in a pool. So the transition from learning to surf in a pool where you know when the waves are coming and where they're coming from to the ocean where you've got to learn how to, where to sit, where to paddle out, where the waves are coming from, where the indicators are to tell you when the waves are coming, all that stuff you don't learn. So I don't think it's we're going to get inundated by what the Sydney signers call Westies. Not just yet. Good. Okay. So but, but nevertheless, I mean, if you want to have a little surf and, you know, just experience a wave as opposed to being out there in the ocean, then mm. you know, that may be a good thing. It will be. And there won't, there's no wildlife in, in uh, wave pools. 
Anyway, um, we're going to go to some music, and when we return, um, you're going to give us an extended surf I'm report. Give you the and winter I'm going to, surf and I'm going to talk about the loss of the peroxinase one gene in marine mammals. Okay, you just heard the chills from uh, 2005, I think, and that song was called Halo Rising. Okay, very quickly, I'm going to give the 2018 Winter Surf Report about how things have been, seeing my whole life now revolves around finding waves. I think I'm in a good position to tell you what it's been like. It's been okay. It's been okay, good. That's informative. (laughs) It's been very windy this year. We've had a lot of very strong northerly winds, and as I mentioned before, we've also had a lot of swells from the west, which is not good because they tend to slide past uh, both the surf coast and uh, Flinders to Western Port. What that means is that you've got a swell direction of about 215, 220 degrees. The ideal swell direction, I think, is about between 195 to 205. And then the swells will on, on the on the, on the clock face. On the clock were. face, yeah. The other thing we've had is we've had a lot of swells like we're getting today with a, what I would consider a fairly low period. A period is the distance in time between two wave crests. Today, for example, we've got a wave period of 12 seconds. So there's 12 seconds between waves. We have had we had a swell a while back where the period was 20 seconds. You get 18 to 20 seconds. That's a very good swell because generally speaking, the the longer the period, the more powerful the swell. Okay. Anything over 10 seconds is is quite good. 10 seconds is what we or below is what we call a wind swell, like a choppy wind swell. We've had a fair few of them this year, uh, but look, the last four to six weeks have been good to very good, and by that I mean we've had three to four good days offshore winds, four foot or bigger every week, and it looks like this coming week's going to be the same. And so what you're looking for if you want to go for a good surf down, particularly down the Torquay area at the moment, is you want the wind to be northwest to west, which it is just about every day. On the swell buoy, there's a, 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 the Port Authority of Melbourne has a swell buoy. You would want a significant... <laughs> is, a, is a swell buoy. Yep. You want a significant height of two metres minimum. Where is that swell buoy? It's located just off uh, Sorrento. Surf, uh, surf site, ocean site, ocean site. Yeah, so, of course. And if you if you it, it gives you two readings. It gives you the significant height, which is the average of the top thirty percent of the waves, and the maximum height, which is the largest wave in that uh, time period, comes in every five minutes. So you're looking for a minimum. I would suggest of about two meters in the significant height, three meters maximum height, and a ten second or more period, and then. If you get those conditions with a northwest wind and you go down to the points, you will get good waves. So can anyone can, can we get these data from the swell board directly? Yeah, yeah, you just get it on the web. If if you type in Port of Melbourne Authority, Port of Melbourne Wave, and it'll come up. There's another way you can do it is to get onto the Trigger Brothers site and if you click on one of the swell cameras, the beach cameras, underneath it'll have wave height. You click on that and that'll take you take you there. So, just finishing up, we're in August at the moment, which in my opinion is the best month for surf. Uh, Coincidentally or strangely enough, many surfers are in Indonesia at the moment. I cannot work out why anyone in there who likes groomed, cold (laughs) point ways would go to Indonesia. But what it's done is it's brought the crowds right down. 
midweek crowds I'm talking. And so things are good at the moment. It's The water's temperature is about 13, which is quite warm for this time of the year. I've known it to get down to 10. It's cold, but cold's good. Keeps you fit. Okay. And for those here in um, surfing Victoria, there's lots of people in Indonesia, so it's... Um it's quiet. They've all gone to Indo, mate. Okay. There's lots of wildlife out there too, and by that I mean seals, whales. I've seen lots of whales. It's amazing. It's fantastic, Dolphins. isn't it? Beautiful. Yeah, it is. Yeah, lots of marine mammals sharks. that we're seeing. Not I found too many a, sharks. I found a very fascinating paper about marine mammals last night as I was um, yeah sitting on the couch with a glass of red, thinking about what am I going to talk about today. This is a paper which has appeared in the latest issue of Science and it's got the illustrious title Ancient Convergent Losses of the Peroxinase 1 Gene Yield Potential Risks for Modern Marine Mammals. What does all that mean? This is a paper which has been authored by people from all over the world. Uh, somebody from here in Australia, Janet Lanyon, is one of the authors. She's from um, University of Queensland at mm-hmm. St Lucia. And it talks about... So marine mammals. We've got three main groups. We've got the manatees and the dugongs, mm-hmm. um, who happen to be most closely related to elephants. And we have the big other... Well, we've got two other groups. We've got the seals, who are pretty closely related to dogs and we have they are the pinnipeds and we've got the cetaceans who are the whales and the dolphins Mm. who are pretty closely related to hippopotamuses. So all of those groups evolved on land and then, well, they evolved, they they came from tetrapods, animals who were on the land and then moved back into the water, these three groups separately. This paper is looking at the loss of, so they've looked for genes that might have been lost in these groups of animals that move to the marine environment and they're looking for common groups of genes that have been lost. So we know that animals can lose particular features if they no longer need them and a really good example of that is animals that live in dark places. Some of them lose the ability to see. And what they've done is they've looked at the genome sequence of these, well, Examples from the manatee, well, they've looked at a dugong, looked at a manatee, they've looked at a couple of whales and they've looked at a couple of seals and they've found that in all of these they've lost this gene which is called PON1 and the peroxinase 1 gene is what the PON1 gene is. What does that do? This is a gene which is involved in lipid metabolism so it helps process fats in the body and it's also got a little bit to do with um, preventing oxidative damage. Because these animals are eating omega-3 fatty acids... They believe that they have lost this gene, so they no longer need this gene. But big take-home from this is that this gene, the PON1 gene, the other kind of fortuitous thing that it does is that it negates the effect of pyrophosphate pesticides, organophosphate pesticides. So animals like us still have the PON1 gene. All the animals, all the mammals which are on land still have this gene and they are able to negate the effects of these pesticides, which are there for insects. And when, yeah, question, question. I'll go too deep. I've had two coffees. No, no, no. The question I have is with these pesticides, are they, are they one of these organophosphates that gets concentrated along the food chain? Uh, yeah, I, yeah, they can. So yeah. that if, if these cetaceans, for example, are eating food that have this organophosphate in it, what you're saying is they can't deal with it anymore. Well, this is what we're thinking now because it's only been realised that they don't have this gene and this gene, um, in the absence of having it, 
then, for example, we have to worry about this stuff getting washed into the ocean and is it going to affect them? And in particular, as they say in this paper, uh, cane farms up off yep. north um, Queensland, places like that, they use these organophosphates which then go into the water and, for example, you have dugongs in the seagrass and is it going to affect them? So brand new work, they've only just discovered that these... Uh, marine mammals, there's three separate groups. All the marine mammals have lost this gene. So now we have to really wonder about what are the effects that are being that are on these marine mammals because they've, they've lost this gene. And my other question is, how do they know they lost it? How do they know they had it in the first place? Genomics. It all gets down to genomics. Well, that it, there are still signatures of that gene, so you can have things which are called silent genes. So you can still see a gene which is hanging around in the genome, so it's like someone who hasn't cleaned out their garage for 100 million years. Yeah. But that gene is not okay. ever switched on. Yeah. So it's got a couple of, as they call, lesions in it, a few mutations, which renders it ineffective. And the reason those mutations haven't been fixed up over time is because the animal doesn't need this gene because they're eating things which are rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Hmm. But it has a deleterious effect as a, because they are no longer able to deal with these organophosphates. Organophos- uh, hmm. organophos- there you go. I hope that wasn't too complex for you, Surf. No, it wasn't. But what I will say is that we don't know yet whether whether there is any actual damage. This is this is pointing to the fact they may not be able to deal with there it. There might be a backup mechanism, yes. Yeah, so this exactly is a, this right. is a, this is a warning sign. It's a red flag if mm. you like. We're gonna go and hear some um, well we're not gonna go anywhere, we're gonna stay right here, but what we are gonna do is listen to some radiohead. And that was The Numbers by Radiohead from Moonshape Pool, released in 2016. I haven't listened to um, Radiohead for quite a while. My son suggested I play that, so thank you, Finn. <laughs> Good track. The show is Radio Marinara. The, um, the station is 3RRR. Um, we are joined on the phone now by um, Virginia Mosk and Ray Lewis, who are talking to us from Fairbay Morris down, um, down on our own Bayside and... Um, Stuff that's been happening at Bowie High. How are you going, Virginia? How are you going, Ray? Well, thank you. Very well, thank you, <laughs> Dr. Bench. <laughs> but, um, yeah, MESAC. So you, you send us um, some information. You want us to advertise stuff that's happening there next weekend and the weekend after. And this sounds like a fantastic initiative. Can you tell us what MESAC is? Well, MESAC's really basically a joint venture between the Barrymore Yacht Club and a group of local marine enthusiast environmentalist build an education centre on the side of the yacht club and working with the yacht club because fundamentally clubs like that might say sail for 30 days a year or something like that maximum the other 200 or 300 something days the club's sort of not properly utilised they're well aware of that as a community asset so a new building splendid world class facilities that copes with both yachting, sailing, disabled sailing, plus all our education ideas from PhDs down to children doing uh, seaweed pressing. Like a good idea, council supportive, state government supportive, federal government are aware of it, but it's a slow, hard slog to, to get it uh, you know, actually committed. That, that, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so, so that's up and running now, Ray? No, but our activities are to keep the public in the... keep before the public eye, and we've got huge public support for it locally, which is, you know unusual but really welcome we run a whole series of events of different kinds that uh, Virginia will chat to you about some of them and she manages most of our events 
Yeah, Dr. Beach. So we, we have um, marine art shows, marine photography courses, um, activity leader certificates, seaweed pressing courses, marine science seminar days, disabled diving and sailing events, which are really special. Um, we have a lot of volunteers come and help disabled people into um, experience the uh, snorkeling in the marine sanctuary. Um, we have fossil events and winter and summer solstice walks and also this coming National Science Week community event at the Beaumaris Secondary College. So um, we're very active and we'd love everyone to come down and see what we do Fant and experience the sanctuary. That, that's fantastic. So next weekend on the 18th, is that correct? You have um, an event? Yes, we have. That's right. Um, so it's with MESAC with, combined with the Beaumont Secondary College. It's from 10am to 1.30pm at 117 Reserve Road, Beaumont, at the actual um, secondary college. Uh, we start at 10 o'clock with a welcome to country and introduction to the school. And then at 10.15 we have um, Dr Kate Charlton-Robb speaking from the Marine Mammal Foundation. Um, 11 o'clock Sea Country video by Ray Lewis. Then we have a break at 11.15 um, for the children to show their exhibit, exhibit their work that they've been working on. Um, 10.45 we have Bert Hamilton speaking from Sea Life Marine uh, Melbourne Aquarium. And then 12.30 we have Darren Collins from the Sea Shepherd Australia come and speak. So it's all a marine focus on that day. Uh, community event, it's free. So um, everyone please come and have a look at what we do. Everyone's welcome. Indeed, fantastic. Not only those who live in Bayside, but, um, yeah, from all over Melbourne, get down there and have a look. And then the weekend after, you've got your um, inaugural Bessie and MESAC <laughs> Fossil ex Exposition. What's that? That's right. So Bessie stands for Bayside Earth Sciences Society and um, working with MESAC. And it's for anyone who's been intrigued to um, learn more about fossils and um, the fact that we actually have them on our doorstep at Ricketts Point. A lot of people don't realise that. So we're opening it up to meet the experts and um, starting at 9.30am, going through to 2.30, uh, encouraging everyone to bring their fossils along if you'd like to have them identified. So um, at 9.30 we have a public viewing of fossils and a question and answer session. Then we have a talk by Richard Casley, who's a local collector and very experienced. Uh, then a fossil video. Then um, 11.30 you can bring your fossils in to be identified by Professor John Buckridge. Um, 1.30 we have a talk by Ben Frank Franciselli from Beaumaris Fossils and the Melbourne Museum. So... Um, also an action-packed day. Fantastic. In fact, we have been on this uh, on this program in about 10 minutes. He's going to come in and, um, and talk to us about the various fossils that we've found from the marine environment um, recently around here. That's, that's fantastic. And what a wonderful initiative MESAC is down there. So um, I wish you all the very best with it, Virginia and Ray and all the other people who have clearly put in heaps of work into organising that. But just one last thing, the addresses, how can people get there? And so it's next Saturday and is there a website that people can look at? Uh, yes, there is a website so it's www.mesac.org.au so MESAC is M-E-S-A-C and um, the addresses are the Beaumaris Secondary College um, 117 Reserve Road, Beaumaris, that's for Saturday the 18th. So the brand new Bowie High. Brand new Bowie High. 
Um, then Sunday, the 26th of August, it's at the Bo Morris Yacht Club, which is down on the water. It's um, on Beach Road. And if you look at the uh, Rickards Point um, Cafe, it's to the right of that. It's the building to the right of that. Fantastic. Well, I'm sure you'll get yeah. heaps of people down there next weekend and the weekend after. Thank you very much, Virginia. And thank you, Ray, for talking to us about MESAC down at Bo Morris. Um, all the best. For next Thank weekend you so much, and the Dr. weekend Beach. after. That's been a Thank pleasure. You, Dr. Beach. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Bye now. Bye. See ya. Thanks. Uh, that was um, Virginia and Ray talking about um, Virginia and Ray, isn't there? That's a song called Virginia and Ray. We should have played that. <laughs> talking about um, MESAC, which is happening down at Bo Morris. It's um, 9.38. The show is Radio Marinara. The program is, well, yeah, the show is Radio Marinara and the station is 3 R. More or doc- less. Yeah, more or less. That's Dr. <laughs> Surf. You just heard and I'm Dr. Beach. Um, one of our regular guests who hasn't been so regular for a while is um, is um, Captain Winshift from the, the Royal Port Melbourne Yacht Club. But we're lucky enough to have him on the blower right now. How are you going, Captain? Not too bad, Dr. Beach. The Royal. No, I'm not talking about this Royal business, but anyway, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I always say that, yeah, it's not Royal at all, is it? So what have you been up to for the last 12 months? Oh, sailing. Sailing around the world. <laughs> no, I wish, I wish, I wish. <laughs> I'm actually currently standing by my van on the side of the road with my boat on the back of the van heading down to Mordialic for the Winter Series. The Winter Series? Tell us about that. Uh, well, think cold more than anything else. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lots of thick wetsuits. Lots of thick wetsuits, lots of thermals, lots of thermal gloves, everything we can possibly think of, basically. Um, it's, it's pretty feral. There's a small group of people who sail small boats all through winter, and we're all kind of silly, and we all wonder why we do it. <laughs> These are the small boats without keels. These are the small boats without keels, so very, very wet and very, very cold this time of year. But still fun, still lots of fun. How many of you are going to be down there for today? Very good question. Um, the weather forecast, one of the things we do when we pack up boats and head down to the other side of the bay is check the weather forecast pretty hard to see whether we're wasting our time or not. And it's looking a little bit iffy. Looks like we're going to get a north-northwesterly, probably about 20 knots, which should be nice. But the way these pressure systems have been going through over the last few weeks, it's anybody's guess. So cross fingers. So it's Dr. Surf here, Captain Winship. What's your yeah, ideal conditions at this time of the year and do you uh, ever get them I, we do uh, sailing in winter is actually delightful uh, it's been very very strange the last three to four weeks though because the high pressure systems have been pushing down and we've been getting these howling westerlies which have been a little bit on the feral side but to answer your question ideal conditions it de- uh, depends on what we're doing at the moment we're training so we like to train in light air heavy air medium air trying to get all the sail settings and everything right um but given a perfect day when we just want to have fun good solid 20 knots is extremely nice and is a northerly better than a southerly or does it not matter it doesn't really matter it depends on your position in the bay so for example if you're up at the top end of the bay say around port melbourne a northerly has a strong wind blowing in between umpteen yuppie mm-hmm. apartments and you end up with really, really weird gusty conditions. Um, where we are 
today down at Mordialic with that north-northwesterly, uh, sorry, west-northwesterly, we'll be getting a pretty clean fetch. So it'll be nice. It'll be nice. Mm. And I know the water temperature in the ocean is about 12 and a half, 13. What is it in the bay? No, it feels like about minus 6, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> it'd it'd <laughs> have to be 10-ish, wouldn't it? Beg your pardon? It, it'd have to be 10 or lower. Oh, it's it's not the best. Uh, I think about 11 degrees is what we're getting at the moment. Yeah, for those listeners who don't know, it, because the bay is an enclosed, more or less enclosed um, bit, of, bit of water, in winter it's colder than the ocean and in summer it's warmer. Correct, yep. Like Which a bath in summer. Things. You're, you're yeah, full, nice in summer. You're full of all sorts of information, Dr. Surf. You just fascinate me at every turn. I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> just wander around that's the beach. Like, yeah. That's right. <laughs> so, Steve, what, what, what uh, Captain Winship, what, what else is on the horizon for you? On the, um, on, the, on the marine horizon, the sailing horizon in the small boat On the marine world. horizon. So we're working hard at the moment getting the boat set up. We've got our eyes on working... Uh, to get over to the World Championships, which are in Australia this year, which is nice. Mind you, it's uh, all the way over in Fremantle when we're in Australia. <laughs> I was going to say, when you said you want to get over to the World Championships, but they're in Australia, it must be somewhere quite a long way away. So, yes, Fremantle. That's exciting. When does that happen? Uh, straight after Christmas, pretty much. Uh, starts around the 28th of January, I think, for memory. So lots and lots of people coming from all over the world. I think we're hoping for about 120, 130 boats. Should be fantastic fun. And is that for, for many different classes of boats or is it the, the keelless boats that you specialise in? Oh, in this particular case, it's, um, it's for the boat that I sail, which is a thing called an International 505. So it's just 505. So it's the 505 World Championship. Well, how do you rate your chances? Oh, if I can go mid-fleet, I would be ecstatic. <laughs> <laughs> that class is just heaving with ex-Olympic gold medalists and world champions and Volvo Ocean Race sailors and oh, you name it. But that's what makes it fun. Who's, um, who's, who's the favourite, an Australian or somebody else? Uh, we've got... So the favourite would have to be... Two American guys, Mike Holt and Rob Wolfel, lovely guys. Uh, they've won the world three times now. Um, but we have a number of Australians who can really definitely be in there with a chance. Uh, Sandy Higgins and his crew, Marshy, uh, Michael Quirk, definitely in for a chance to win it. Fantastic. Hmm. Anything else you want to talk to us about this morning? Oh, no, I think I'd better keep moving, unfortunately. So, <laughs> so you don't freeze. Hand, <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck today. I hope it doesn't Thank get too much. windy. Oh, I hope it gets a little bit windy. <laughs> <laughs> Never <laughs> happy. Yeah, you need that. Thank you very much, Captain Windshift. And, um, yeah, we hope that it's not so long between drinks next time. All the best Excellent. today down at Morty Alec. Thank you. Have a good one. Sayonara. That was our very own Captain Windshift, um, a.k.a. Steve Howden from the um, that's a, Melbourne Yacht Club. Uh, that's, I would call that a gutsy effort, getting out in the bay on a day like today. Well, when it's very cold. When you love stuff like that, yeah. when you love the marine environment, when you love getting in the water, whether it be diving or whether it be sailing or whether it be, I don't know, talking about it on radio in a kind mm. of haphazard fashion, mm. that's just what you do. Oh, some of us like getting cold.
It is nice. As long as you're... The only bad side is getting in and out of your wetsuit. Once you're in your wetsuit and your gloves and your booties and your hood and you're walking down to the beach, it's quite pleasant. Indeed. But I wouldn't recommend it for anyone. We're going to hear some Lars now and then when we return we're joined by Ben Francicelli in the studio to talk about um, all things marine fossils and, um, yeah, we look forward to that very much. And you're listening to Radio Marinara. You just heard The Lars. There she goes. Probably the greatest 80s jangly guitar pop song. Had me popping around the place. You just imagine him just sitting in his lounge room coming up with that riff going, ooh, onto something here. I played that because it's the quintessential opposite to Beyonce who I unfortunately had to sit through on Rage yesterday and was, oh, my God. Well, some people might like Beyonce. We don't, we don't have, you know, no, no, partisan that, here. It's that self-importance. Oh, well. Yeah, anyway, some, some on... people might say that, you know, middle-aged surfers down on the Mornington Peninsula <laughs> are very self-important. Very much so. <laughs> the show is Radio Marinara. We are very fortunate to be joined in the studio this morning by Ben Francicelli from um, Museum Victoria. How are you going, Ben? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you very much for having me on the show. It's our complete pleasure. Um, lots has been... Ha- we've seen a few things in the news from um, Museum Victoria. Science Week is coming up. Um, fossil shark teeth. We had the pygmy um, right whale. That's correct. Very yes. recently. Uh, uh, how about we... Um, let, well, the pygmy right whale. It's, it's some, that was quite a bit of news about that yeah the, but um, i just like it can you remind me because I, I kind of miss the general news sure so the pygmy right whale itself is an enigmatic whale species when you think about baleen whales as a whole they're actually the biggest animals that have ever lived we're talking about something 30 meters in length weighs 180,000 kilos but the pygmy right whale is the complete opposite spectrum of that it's the smallest of the, these the, the smallest of the whales. The smallest of the baleen whales. Of the so baleen whales. They're characterised by having those large keratinous racks that come from the top of the mouth. They sieve the water, get out Correct. krill and, and all those goodies. all those delicious tiny little organisms swimming in and around it. And uh, it's only about six metres in length and weighs about 3,000 kilos. So if it was any other mammal animal, you'd say, geez, what a humongous creature this actually is. But for a whale, it's comparatively small. And for the fossil record, we know almost nothing about it whatsoever. So there are molecular divergent estimates which date the animal uh, ranging from about 22 to 26 million years of age. And yet we've found almost no fossil evidence on the planet of them. Until, of course, we get to Beaumaris. And Beaumaris is a really exciting locality dated to between 5 and 6 million years of age. Uh, you can find the biggest birds that ever existed, the pelagonithids. They had a wingspan more than six metres in length. They were huge. They rivaled the pterosaurs of the, mo- of the Mesozoic itself. Hang on, what were they called? The pelicanithids? The pelicanithids. So, 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 so big-ass pelicans. Huge, gigantic birds that flew way, <laughs> way long ago. Beaumaris, is, it, it is amazing what we have on our doorsteps. We were just talking to um, people down at Beaumaris um, who are helping to organise or set up MESAC. Um, mm. Environment and Discovery Centre down there associated with Beaumaris High. And what a wonderful thing it is that we're all rejoicing in these beautiful fossils. And we that should, we have on because our this is an absolute treasure trove that we have on our doorstep as well. But um, we, found, we didn't actually find this uh, piece of evidence of the pygmy right whale itself. It had been sitting in the collection for about 70 years in a part that no one had really looked before until um, my boss, Dr. Eric Fitzgerald, who's the curator of vertebrate paleontology, picked it up and recognised exactly what it was as part of the inner ear bone 
of the pygmy right so whale. So it wasn't even a, a, whoa, what's this? Let's check it out. It was, oh, here's the inner ear bone of a it's pygmy like, right whale. Almost instantaneously. Luckily for us, we had the skull of one of the pygmy right whales in the lab itself. So we were able to go, let's go compare the pair, you know, five million years of age, more recent. And basically when we lined up the ear bones, they were almost identical in every single facet. Cool. Yeah, it was pretty astounding. Just a, a quick question on the fossil record. I've been teaching my young children, I do science classes in schools, about fossils. And one of the things that I try to get them to understand is that it's like a jigsaw puzzle with most of the pieces missing. Yes, it absolutely How frustrating is. must it be? And how, well, let's, for example, look at Bo Morris, how um, the conditions to make fossils are quite rare, aren't they? It is. There's a huge bias in the fossil record itself. When you look at Bo Morris, for example, there's a high-energy environment that's basically tumbling these specimens over. So even when one of the fossils are exposed, they're in the water and then they actually get gently eroded by the waves as well. So when you do find the fossil itself, it's generally well eroded before deposition and after deposition. And most times you only find just a single part of the fossil. You don't find a huge skull. So to give you an example, along the surf coast itself, there have been three fossil whale skulls that have ever been found along the surf coast. And that's 130 years of looking. So it's incredibly biased and we hope to find more at some do you, point. Do you think that the, the rise in sea level is producing uh, enhanced erosion levels and so you might that might give you an opportunity to find more fossils? Um, I think, look, when it comes down to it, climate change probably is something where you're getting more frequency of storms uh, and those storms themselves are impacting on the side of the cliffs. And, of course, it's eroding maybe a couple of millimetres every single time that they do that. But who knows what's underneath those couple of millimetres. You could have an entirely new skull of a completely different species of whale that no one has ever seen before. So, And in this case, it's a good segue, actually, to bring up the shark teeth because that's basically exactly how they were found as well. Was, was it a, was over it a in rest, the West? Yeah, a Janjuk. Was it a recent cliff tumble? Or yeah, this had was the a, rock been there a long time? This was at least a cliff fall that had happened back in 2014, 2015. Okay. And this was picked up by a local who had been uh, walking down the site, knew how to look for fossils himself, Philip Mullaly, absolute legend of a guy. And he saw this kind of triangular glinting object in the rock itself and he went back to him and he thought geez that that could be something really important sure enough he went over to the rock and pulled out this huge tooth probably about the same size as your palm and it comes from this ancient shark known as carcarocles and gustinans the precursor of the megalodon form so the precursor of the biggest shark that's ever existed <laughs> is this the one in the new movie the Meg. Uh, <laughs> it's a distant cousin, basically. Okay. That's what this one is here. Yeah, everyone's heard about the Meg. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm very excited to see the Meg myself, but I know the one question that I'll get time and time again is, uh, is the Meg still real? You know, is it still alive? <laughs> now, but, this, but this thing is bigger than the Meg, isn't it? It's no, bigger... not quite as big as the Meg. So we've got... So when he started digging, he found more and more teeth, and he found about six or seven, and we started to cultivate a relationship with Phil to the point where he came into the lab one day and said, I've brought something in. You guys are going to love it. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So we, we went up to the Level 2 lab at the Melbourne Museum and we, he put all of his stuff on the table. He took out these uh, plastic Tupperware containers and lifted up the lid and inside were these pristine teeth, about six or seven of them from the one individual. And we were like, Whoa. wow, this is incredible. Our jaws literally dropped. And we said, where did you get this from, Phil? And he said, a boulder from Janjuk. Instantly, as soon as he said that, we were like... We've got to get down to Janjuk. And that's pretty much exactly what we did. So through December 2017 and January 2018, a few expeditions led by Museums Victoria and Dr. Eric Fitzgerald, we went down there to excavate the rest of them. And boy, was that fun. 
And so these are all from one individual. Yes. And I appreciate that sharks don't fossilise well because they have cartilaginous skeletons Mm -hmm. unlike other animals. So the teeth are one of the few things that you get. Correct. But we do see shark jaws. Like, you know, when you go into a bar or something, they'll have those. (laughs) So correct me. I mean, I'm pleading ignorance here, (laughs) showing my ignorance. So the, the jaw itself, is that cartilaginous as well? Yeah, so a lot of it's actually quite cartilaginous all around the rims as well. The only thing that's really made out of the solid bone that's used to preserve really well on the fossil record are the teeth. The right. issue with sharks in the fossil record is that they go through thousands of teeth in their lifetime. In their lifetime. So some estimates have it as high as 30,000 teeth. And they're produced on like a conveyor belt, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, basically. So, but with this one individual, what we found were there were teeth right at the back ends of the jaw that were still hollow and infilled with sediment into indicating that this was all from one individual. So the individual had died and rotted in place and what's left its teeth. Yes, but there was also more teeth there as well, and they were they add to the story. So what we also found were these six-gilled shark teeth as well, something known as hexanchus, and they were spread all over the block itself. And the way we can reconstruct it is we think that this gigantic macro-predatory shark died, it fell to the bottom of the seafloor, and these six-gilled sharks, like they do in modern times with whale falls, basically converged on the carcass and just started ripping it into pieces. <laughs> That's fantastic that you can, yeah. you can develop this, this image, this picture of this. Yeah. And indeed, Science Week is coming up and you have a display which is showing us perhaps yeah, so what happened. There's quite a few things happening for Science Week as well that I want to mention. So the very first thing that I think all your viewers would be really interested to know about is that there's actually going to be an ID table that's going to be happening from Wednesday the 15th to Sunday the 19th that's included with your museum entry. If you have something and you don't know what it is whatsoever, bring it into the museum. We can identify it for you. We can have some kind of idea. We've got a whole bunch of experts that are there that are just waiting to see some of these incredible discoveries because the best discoveries that have been found by far have been made by the public. Yeah. So the other things I want to mention as well, and possibly the most important when it comes down to it, is the Science on Show. Uh, It's happening on August the 19th on the Sunday itself. I'm going to be there, and what's going to happen is we're going to have a setup of 12 tables with priceless specimens on them. And some of the specimens are just ridiculous. We're talking the largest marsupials the world has ever seen, giant wombats the size of hippos. We've got some of their skulls and jaws on display. We have evidence of the largest predators ever we're talking the megalodon and <laughs> the biggest predator liviatan a macro predatory sperm whale 17 and a half meters in length the only evidence that we have for this single animal is its tooth but it's the biggest tooth ever found in australasia so how big is that? It's the size of a 1.25 litre Coke bottle. <laughs> <laughs> you had that ready to go. So, yeah, I did. So I want you guys to imagine a skull the size of a small car and the biggest predator-prey relationship ever. So kids, if you're listening to this right now, what I want you to do, come down to the museum on the Sunday the 19th. Bring your parents with you. If you've got any questions to do with whale evolution, dinosaurs, sharks, wombats, let us know. On that note, Ben Francicelli from Museum Victoria, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today on Radio Marinara. I also thank our other guests, Virginia Mosk and Ray Lewis and Captain Windshift, and indeed I thank you from the depths of my oh-so-shallow heart, Dr. Sir, for joining me. (laughs) Pleasure. Um, Next week is... Week number one of Radiothon. It's going to be exciting. Get ready with your fingers on the buzzers. And, um, yeah, you'll be getting fish names. Thanks, Kent. Yeah, thank you very much to Kent. (laughs) (laughs) Sayonara. See ya.
Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.